0: uh let's uh go ahead and pray. Uh, i feel the need. uh father, thank you so much uh for time to uh to get together and um hear you tell us uh truly in earthen vessels but to tell us um, what reality is all about. what the truth is. Uh, and what our promise and hope truly is and uh, help us now to understand these things a little better and I ask these things in Jesus name amen okay well this is the last day I'll be with you no I mean the last day I'm doing this and uh, I'm going to reprise a little bit because we've already talked about the imminent frame and and some of this stuff um but I thought it was important before I get to the last thing, which is uh, the Christian faith makes sense, which it does, and a- actually nothing else. It's, it's ironic in a tragic sort of way that the world, uh, and by world, I uh, those who take the imminent frame or any other worldview as, as real reality, I'll have to call it, um, we'll tell Christians that we're unreasonable and that we're imagining things. And quite the opposite is true. We are not imagining things. Everybody else is. Of course, everybody else says that. But I think we have really good reasons to say that the, the gospel is true and the Christian faith makes sense. The imminent frame, again, was, was Charles Taylor's way of explaining uh, what's going on in a secular age, the imminent frame, you could call it the secular worldview if you want. Secularism for shorthand. And what we do, and what Western civilization has done, is construct a framework which we use to try and understand reality. And this is this is not something inherently wrong. We all do this. We 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 do it every Sunday morning. On a sort of uh, subplot basis of course it 's the most important and it's not really the subplot it 's the core of the plot so it, when, when we worship, we are in fact rehearsing the story of christ 's sacrificial death and resurrection, and what that means for us now and for our future in the, in the preaching of the gospel. And particularly in the Nicene Creed, but in the, in the entire liturgy, uh, we rehearse and summarize part of what is the entire Christian faith. So we're telling ourselves a story. I believe it's a true story. When you hear me use the term story or narrative, do not think that I necessarily mean that we're just making stuff up. We're not just making stuff up. Now, sometimes people do make stuff up. Um, <laughs> And I'll try and make sure I separate those things carefully. But um, if, if you know your sociology, which I'm sure we all do, you know that the, the phrase, the, uh, the, con- the social construction of reality, comes from the uh, it was a Christian sociologist, Peter Berger. I'm borrowing from him, but I'm altering it to make sense of it. I think in a way he did. The social construction of reality is the title of his book. And I think it has come to mean something he did not mean what it has come to mean is that somehow we can tell ourselves a story and that creates reality. Um, And I hate to to use uh, the example of uh, human sexual proclivities and what I would consider degeneracy, but it's such an obvious example uh, of uh, the construction of a narrative that really doesn't tell us reality. So you have the idea that marriage can be, t- be between two men or between two women, or the latest revision of that is called polyamory, which means many loves. But you can have two guys and a girl or two girls and a guy. Uh, and this is already in the process of being mainstreamed. If you haven't already seen it on TV, um, you don't watch enough TV, which is a good thing. Um, LAUGHTER but that's a, that's a narrative construction of social reality. So is transgenderism. Now, they will say that gender is a social construct. Eh, sex is not. You know, there really are two sexes. Uh, gender isn't really. Now, gender roles may be socially constructed. Um, but, again, the construction of social reality by, in effect, telling ourselves stories is not inherently a bad thing. It's neutral, but we can tell ourselves a true story or we can tell ourselves a false story. Western civilization is built on the story of Christian redemption. That's just a fact that is historically undeniable. And even some people who are not believers will recognize this. Two of my favorites um, are Camille Pagula and Jordan Peterson. I've mentioned them before. Neither one of these is believers. Jordan Peterson, who's still kind of the flavor of the day, is a Jungian psychologist. Um, that should be enough said, but I won't explain anything further. Camille Paglia is uh, a critical and aesthetic analyst and uh, cultural critic, uh, and she is a lesbian feminist. And I, you, you could call them both libertarians with conservative tendencies and they believe that the christian story is the foundation correctly believe that is the foundation of western civilization and that to undermine that is to undermine our very social structure which they're right except neither one actually believes or or really cares that much whether in fact it's true they are just identifying as this the ground underneath our feet and if you undermine that the society will eventually collapse. Well, they're correct. Um, I would call them secular prophets, so to speak. But the imminent frame has constructed a social reality that obscures transcendence, okay, like this. I spent hours on that animation, okay, Anyway, so if, if, for example, if you say there is no God, uh, this material world is all there is, and there is no hope beyond the grave, there's no life beyond the grave, in effect, your mind, your senses, your consciousness, your way of thinking, both as an individual and in a group, is going to be dulled to transcendent reality. It just is. Sometimes you can't see your hand in front of your face unless you're told it's there, so to speak. Um, so the imminent frame obscures a huge part of reality. And I, I won't go into that any more detail, although it is very interesting how we got to that place and how it affects the culture around us now. Because I'm just setting this up as a background. And if you have any questions, I'll answer them uh, at the end. Um, the Christian worldview, on the other hand, I'm, I'm convinced, or I would not be a Christian, actually, so to speak, cleanses the windows of the framework so we can see what real reality is. Uh, it's possible, of course, to, to understand how the Christian worldview, which I'll explain in just a minute what that means we can construct a social reality of that in various ways. You could talk about medieval Christendom. You could talk about Protestant America. There are good and bad aspects to both of that. Again, it's a historical question I won't spend a whole lot of time on right now. But both of them are real attempts to take what is really real and apply it to constructing how we live in society. It really is a sociological question. Uh, there is a, a, a deep spiritual aspect of this that I, I won't go into right now. But in effect, uh, we are trying to make sense of reality in a way that enables us to live together as a culture. One of the reasons why we don't seem to be doing that very well right now <laughs> is because you have two clashing worldviews. You still have many people us, others, who really believe that the Christian worldview, the, the framework you create from that structure really tells the truth about reality, but you've also got secularism, or the imminent frame, which in effect is dominant institutionally, and certainly in popular culture right now. And so you've got these two clashing worldviews trying to tell you two different stories about reality, uh, and they really don't mix. And that's why you get the conflict. But again, that is not completely the story I want to tell. Uh, This is the beginning of it. So what do I mean by the Christian worldview? Well, I mean that the gospel doesn't really stand by itself as just an isolated proclamation out in the middle of nowhere. It is the core. It is, so to speak, uh, the jewel and the crown. But it is contained within a larger framework, and we could call that the Christian faith. So, for example, Nick preaches the gospel, um, and we recite the creed, and we hold the gospel within the framework of that creed. The Nicene Creed is not the whole Christian faith, but it's a good summary of it. And so... that relates further to this, that what I call the Christian world story or the construction of this narrative. The Christian world story is a story about all of reality. And then the Christian worldview, which it doesn't work exactly like nesting concentric shells, but this is a close enough model that I think it can help us understand it. The Christian worldview is taking the Christian faith and the Christian story, both of which I'll explain a little further, and trying to understand the world in which we live, both in nature and in society. So the Christian worldview is sort of like the polar opposite of what Charles Taylor is calling the imminent frame. These are the two that are clashing. Um, I would better pause right there and ask if anybody has any questions about that. Because I know I'm going quick because it's not the Could main... Can you expand on Taylor a little bit? What is, does he, what, what's his um, model look like? Well, he, he says that we live in a secular age, and so the dominant worldview, he, he won't... Well, actually, he might use the term worldview, is, in fact, the, the imminent frame. This idea that all that exists is the here and now, the material world, there is no God, and so we construct our social life around that truth which isn't true but that's what we take it as now he spends a lot of his book by the way explaining how we got there some of which is true and some of which isn't I don't think and then what are we going to do about that which also is fraught with some interesting stuff but also some difficulties so I don't really want to go into that uh, right now any other questions about this So, what do I mean by a worldview? A worldview is the fundamental way of seeing reality (laughs) that a person or group embraces and to which they are committed. And again, the sort of the core and then the inner core of that is the, the Christian faith and the gospel. And I'll get to the Christian world story in just a second. So, a worldview is the blueprint for the narrative construction of a social reality. Western civilization is based on a Christian worldview. Now, how you construct that social reality can vary. You can take medieval Latin Christendom, Eastern Orthodoxy in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, and then later on you can take the Protestant understanding in Western Europe and in the United States. Nonetheless, they are based on the Christian worldview. (coughs) Then you have the Christian world story. What what do I mean by that? A world story is the core narrative of a worldview. So worldviews aren't just a collection of beliefs. Every worldview has a story about all of reality. Uh, the imminent frame, of course, begins with evolution. You know, the, the, the universe sprang all by itself from nowhere or it's eternal. This is not the Christian worldview. This is the worldview of secularism. And... Uh, Somehow or another, matter inherently has spontaneous generating power, so life sprang up spontaneously from non-living matter and then it evolved to the state where we are today. And then not only organisms evolved, but societies evolved. That's really quick, but that would be the secular world story. Christian world story is different. But all world stories try to tell one complete and coherent story about the true nature of reality. The story provides its hearers and believers with a framework in which they try to make sense of all the events, experience, and knowledge of their lives. From a a psychological and sociological level, that is what we do in worship every Sunday. Don't misunderstand me. That is not the only thing that's going on because there really is spiritual reality but I would make things even more complicated than I'm making them now if I got into that at this point. So this is the basic Christian world story, and you will recognize this. Creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the fall. The fall, I believe, is a true historical event, the precise nature of which is told in symbols and metaphors, but I believe it really happened. And so that explains... I think, in a way that nothing else does. Why is it that we are the way we are? Because we live in a fallen, sinful world. But then there is redemption. When does redemption begin? Well, you could say that it began an eternity past in the mind of God. But it has its culmination, certainly, in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it will have its culmination in the new creation. And this is the story in the Bible. So it goes from creation, fall, to redemption, new creation, beginning, middle, and ending. And this is where actually the whole idea of stories come from in Western culture, I believe. It's from the story in the Bible. So that is the, the narrative through which we understand everything that is going on in our personal lives and in our social lives and on a global level through that story. The Christian faith is sort of the superstructure upon which that is built. Uh, You could call it the narrative framework. And uh, it's not just doctrine, and there's more to doctrine than in this uh, particular graphic, but those affirmations of truth which focus on the creed but are not limited to the Nicene creed that tell us the truths that are within that whole story. Does that make sense? Okay, am I I making sense? So that's the Christian faith, the Christian story, and the Christian worldview. So now, we've already talked about the existence of God the good reasons for that, the good reasons for why the Bible is true, the good reasons for why Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. Now I want to say why the Christian faith makes sense. And so sometimes when I say Christian faith, I'm also including the Christian story, and sometimes I'm including the Christian worldview. But if you need a a quick idea, a conceptualization to get in your head, the symbol, it's literally called the symbol sometimes, the creeds are also called symbols of the Christian faith is the Nicene Creed and in a, and in a uh, literally smaller version, the Apostles' Creed. Um, I would also include personally the definition of Chalcedon, but you're not required to believe that to be an Anglican. Isn't that correct? Uh, we affirm it insofar as it agrees with Scripture, I think the language is. Uh, Chalcedon definition of Chalcedon is a statement of the uh, two natures and one person of Jesus Christ. So the Christian faith makes sense. What do I mean by that? First thing is that it is consistent and coherent. So the Christian faith as that set of beliefs is consistent in that there is no affirmation, teaching, or doctrine within the faith... That contradicts any other affirmation, teaching, or doctrine. If if we were looking at it as a story, we would say there are no continuity errors. Uh, is anybody here that spends their you know movie watching time looking for continuity errors? Do you do that, Nick? the the first The first time I ever really noticed anybody ever see, let's see, I think it was Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier, which wasn't. They made a Star Trek Six of the original. There's a scene where Spock is jetting up the uh, inside of the, the turbo lift and you see as he's got these rocket boots on. I'm not making this up. Well, they are making it up but it's really in the movie. And you see him jetting up the turbo lift in these rocket boots and you see him going by quickly. The numbers of the floor is going by and at one point they, repeat, they start to repeat. In other words, you know, one, two, three, four, five, three, four, five, and uh, there's a continuity error. I think that's the first continuity error I ever caught without being told. But in, so, so they're inconsistent there. The editor or the director didn't catch that, and the story has a little glitch in it. In the Christian faith as a story, there are no glitches. There are no continuity errors as it's contained in the Bible and as we get it correctly interpreted. Uh, I can't go over every detail, but I wanted to pick what's considered one of the major contradictions, is that's the Trinity. How can God be one but three? And I think this is a crucial doctrine. Uh, And it's because God is not one in the same way he is three. You You don't get three guys hanging around, that, oh, he's God, he's God, and he's God. Let's all hang out together, and together we'll be the Trinity. They are accidentally related. The three persons are not accidentally, that, but they are essentially <laughs> related. Each person of the Trinity is who he is only in relation to the others. So God is an eternal relatedness of the three persons. That's just who God is. And it is true, in a sense, that this is beyond rationality, but but that's a good thing. If we try and describe God in terms that we completely understand on a human rational basis, you can be sure that we're not talking about the God that exists. Anybody's definition of God would include that God is infinite, and if His nature is infinite, there are going to be aspects of it that finite rationality can never encompass so we can describe the trinity even though we can't explain it coherence so there is no there is no teaching or there's no teaching or doctrine that contradicts any other teaching or doctrine coherence is the way that all the doctrines and teachings of the christian faith hold together they form a cohesive and one could say satisfying whole if again you're talking about it as a story It's how they support and depend on one another. Again, using the idea of the Trinity. Um, and, And it is true that you come to the Trinity as a conclusion, but it is a conclusion clearly based on strong inference from Scripture. So if we take the Incarnation, the Incarnation of Jesus Christ makes sense, and only makes sense if God has a Trinitarian nature. The Atonement... Christ's death of an atonement, if Jesus Christ was a mere human being and not the incarnation of the Trinity, then his death would be, you know, maybe an inspirational martyr's death, but that's it. I mean, even technically, if he was raised from the dead, God can raise merely dead human beings from the dead if he wants to. Um, and so... The the Trinity makes sense of the incarnation, the incarnation makes sense of the atonement, and the atonement makes sense of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Christ did it all, and we do nothing but receive that. And so this story, when taken as a whole, makes sense as one complete and entire understanding of reality. That's coherence. It is comprehensive. And again, here I spent hours on this graphic. Here we go. So comprehensiveness of a worldview is its ability to encompass and explain all of our experience and all of our knowledge. So the worldview that That encompasses the Christian faith, that larger shell I had, can embrace and explain what we know and experience in the world. It tells us what the world is and tells us who we are in a true way and better than any other worldview, leaving fewer intellectual problems much more than any other world view. What we know internal to the Bible enables us to make sense of what we know external to the Bible. Now, it doesn't mean the Bible is a book of history, art, math, sociology, psychology, or science. And some people, too, take this too far. Um, I won't mention his name, but there's there's a scientist-slash-biblical scholar whose work I take seriously who believes that you can actually find intimations of the Big Bang Theory and other cosmological modern scientific findings within the Bible. I don't think you can do that. What you, what you will find is that there are no contradictions. But like, for example, with the age of the earth. The, the, the Bible doesn't really give any serious hints about the age of the earth or the universe. It simply doesn't say. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, if we're going to say, and and I would say, that cosmological dating of the universe is 13.8 billion years, that is consonant and does not contradict anything within Scripture. And the fact that the standard understanding of the Big Bang theory, for instance, posits an absolute beginning, which everybody is now trying to do a workaround that doesn't believe in God. It posits an absolute beginning. And so while the Bible doesn't talk about the Big Bang Theory, while it doesn't really talk about what's called the singularity, the point of infinite density that supposedly the early universe emerged from, it can comprehend that. It can incorporate that into what we do know without there being any further contradiction. You can do this, I believe, in history. You can do it in art, math, sociology, psychology, or any other human discipline. Now, sometimes what we assume to be knowledge is not. Um, I, I don't think Darwinian evolution is true, uh, and I don't think materialism per se is true, the idea that all that exists is matter and energy. Now, some, things, some people may take these to be actual knowledge, and of course, you, you can't incorporate that within a Christian worldview, but I don't think there's any good reasons to believe those things are true. Anyway, so the understanding and perspective we gain from the Christian faith, and now I'm talking about the Christian faith understood as all those truths that are contained within the Bible, enables us to make sense of our knowledge and experience that other worldviews cannot. Um, Finally, the Christian worldview, the Christian story, world story, and the Christian faith fulfill our deepest longings and true desires. Now, I have to define that. What are, what are our deepest longings and true desires? Not everything that we want. Um, but uh, The Buddha, uh, Siddhartha Gautama, was, was right about one thing. Uh, he's probably right about several things. But I'm not a Buddhist, so I'm not saying he's the way (laughs) to enlightenment or salvation. That desire does cause suffering. You want something, and you either don't get it, so you suffer. You desire, and you get it, and it doesn't fulfill you, and therefore you suffer. Well, Well, the Buddha's answer to that was, well, let's just eliminate desire then. And... I, is anybody here Buddhist or you know, converted? <laughs> converted, converted, converted from Buddhism? Because I don't want to get this wrong. OK? I, I really I, I studied Buddhism at the graduate level, but you know, I am not, nor have I ever been a Buddhist. But the way to enlightenment in Buddhism, at least in what's called Theravada Buddhism, is the extinguishment of your idea that you have within yourself, that you are a separate individual person. You need to just extinguish your personality. And therefore, you'll stop desiring, and therefore, you'll stop suffering. I don't think that works. Uh, First of all, we don't want to extinguish our personality. And second, I don't think we need to. What we need to do is either reorder our desires, because our desires are disordered, And we need to truly understand at the deepest level, what is all this pointing to? I I forget the author, and it's not C.S. Lewis, who said, every man that uh, what knocks on the door of the brothel is really looking for God. Um, He was another English writer whose name escapes me. And in a sense, that's true. What he's saying is you may think what you want is sexual satisfaction, but really you know at some level that really is not going to fulfill you. So what do we really want? Well, here's my take on it. You can take it for what it's worth. I think what we really desire is truth, beauty, and goodness in relationship. We want to give and receive ever more creatively truth, goodness, and beauty in a relationship that abides. Part of our sense of suffering is because we have all the animals anticipate our death. And we know among other things, death seems to be, it isn't really, the death of all relationship. And this causes anguish and suffering. We really want to experience, again, goodness, truth, and beauty eternally. Uh, This, of course, is another way of saying we want love and joy in relationship. Which, if you notice, that actually is also a description of the eternal life of the Trinity. So this is coherent, and it's also comprehensive to the Christian worldview. Somebody could argue with this, but I really do think that understanding that about who we are is, is a genuine aspect of what's called natural theology or general revelation. Is it true that everybody doesn't understand that? Sure. We can be in denial about a lot of things to the point where, as uh, I think Paul puts, our conscience can be seared. <coughs> so can our understanding be fogged up, and so can we be in denial. But I really think that deep down we all know that what we really want is relationships which are good, true, and beautiful. We want to we both want to receive and give Love and joy creatively. And that, of course, is the promise and hope of the Christian faith. Uh, No other worldview really offers that. Secularism in the imminent frame, the best it can do, and it can't fulfill the promise, but the best it can offer is uh, material prosperity and and a sense of pleasure in this lifetime. And then you die and that's it. And maybe you can leave some money to your kids and they can do the same thing. Um, A a take on that view of secularism is Marxism. Socialism is becoming very popular. All the cool kids are doing it on campus now. And socialism in its full-blown Marxist sense adds this to the eminent frame or the secularist worldview is that history is inevitably moving towards communism – And communism, which has been called the kingdom of God without God, is just where everybody has material prosperity and well-being and we experience peace and equality and abundance all together in one big happy human family. I don't see that working out anytime soon. But that is the view of uh, true Marxists who believe that that is the end stage of evolution. I think there's enough evidence to show that that really isn't going to happen, although people can fool themselves into believing that it could be and that they should work to that end. But as an individual, you're still going to die, and that's it. Death in the imminent frame, death in a secularist worldview is the extinguishment of the individual. You simply cease to exist. I think that either... Albert Camus, the French existentialist, was right, except maybe he changed his mind, in that our longing and desire for those things that I have just said are completely absurd in a universe that does not care about us if you take atheism as true from the start. Or, and I think this is the best or and the best good news it's ever been, the good news of the gospel in jesus christ and the christian faith and the world story and the christian worldview is really true so to recapitulate the entire class so we said there are good reasons to believe there is a god (coughs) there are good reasons to believe the bible is true There are good reasons to believe Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. There are good reasons to believe that the Christian faith makes sense, and therefore the Christian faith is, in fact, reasonable. So, does anybody have any questions? Yes, Robbie. Well, so true. So I'll just agree with Robbie here. Robbie is correct in that you, you have to understand where someone's coming from, uh, worldviewishly speaking. Um, if you've ever heard of Francis Schaefer, he had the same approach. He called it taking the roof off. Um, what he meant by that, what Francis Schaefer meant by that, was showing... Uh, particularly secularists, uh, the full implications of what they actually believed. And you can actually use secularist writings to do that. Uh, Bertrand Russell, uh, was he famously wrote a book called Why I Am Not a Christian, which, again, is sad and tragically ironic. But he has a passage in there, which I can't quote, but he basically says science has shown that human life is ultimately a tragedy and not only our species, our planet, our solar system, but that the entire universe eventually ends in, in death and darkness. And then he says, and on this firm foundation of despair, I'm not making that, but he really said this firm foundation of despair, our human habitation, must be built. But you can't build a habitation on despair, and I don't think Bertrand Russell did. What did he built it on? Well, he was a famous philanderer, too. (laughs) He built it on his own sexual desire, as a matter of fact. Um, So you do have to take that into account. Some people will listen, uh, and some people won't. And that's true. You can't start quoting Scripture to someone who doesn't necessarily believe or know the Bible. On the other hand, I really do believe, uh, I believe the verse is misused, but sometimes... It's not misused. So when, when God says, my, my word that goes out for me will not return void, I really think there is a sense in that sense the scripture is true, it resonates with people sometimes. Even John 3.16, although I'm not sure putting up John 3.16 as a football game is really evangelism. But to say God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son resonates with people even if they say they don't believe the Bible because it's true. And I think the truth always resonates. I think with some people today, there, there, there are two books. Um, trying to think of the second one. But the one I've uh, based some of this uh, uh, teaching about our deepest desires and longing is based on a book by uh, Greg Gansel who, um, I promise you, I, I really came up with the, the, with, the, with the idea of deepest desires before he titled his book, Our Deepest Desires. But he says, yes, the Christian worldview is true, but even more so, we should want it to be true because it is going to fulfill us in a way that nothing else can. And I think there are people who will resonate with that uh, before they will necessarily resonate to all of the scientific, philosophical, and historical information I gave. But you're right, you, there's some people who are going to resonate with that. Anthony Flew is a famous example. He was a philosopher who, became, who was an atheist, um, and he converted at least to deism. Who knows what happened before he died? And he said he was convinced by the design argument that God exists. Uh, and there are other... Uh, some of them well known, some of them not well known, to be convinced by the weight of evidence. Um, but there's some who see that the truth of reality is what it is, and then will find the gospel attractive. And I think that's what it means that it fulfills our deepest desires and our, our true desires and deepest longings. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.